Well, great to be here in Rangiora again. Uh, I think I was here earlier this year with the youth, and uh, great to uh, great to be able to come back. And uh, you got great pastors here, and Glenn and Debbie, and uh, hung out with them this afternoon. This place is popping with creativity. Thank you for that underwhelming response. That's <laughs> Friday night, eh? Hey, look, I turned to somebody and go, I think he's going to be short tonight. And it's just like all you'll get is five foot ten and a half, but there you go. Uh, it's just like, honestly, this, look at this. this uh, great creativity around here. I love the idea, testimony leaves. So if you're turning over a new leaf, testify about it. Amen? And so I, just very, very good. So uh, that's good. Well, I'm sitting there tonight in the worship, and um, I think I changed my message 18 times. Um, <laughs> You know, because you get into that environment and you go, oh my goodness, you know, and, you, and I've been praying for you guys over the last, um, over the last uh, couple of weeks. I've been on the road and uh, just up and down New Zealand, literally. Um, it was a couple of weeks ago, I started in Dunedin and then Christchurch, uh, Wellington and then Auckland and then Rotorua. And you know what it takes for me, and I had to get back because my mother turned 93, and uh, you know I needed to be back for her birthday rather than stay in the North Island. And so um, I jumped on the plane in Rotorua. Um, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and touched down in Invercargill at 8 o'clock at night. I could have flown to Australia and back, you know, and, uh, but, you know, there it is. It's like the milk run, you know, Rotorua to Auckland, Auckland to Christchurch, Christchurch to Invercargill. Uh, in the old days, I remember flying NAC. Remember NAC? Anybody remember it those days? Look at all the old people. And um, the, uh, sorry about that. Yeah, I'm so, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, I remember flying from Auckland to Wellington, Wellington to Christchurch, Christchurch to Dunedin, Dunedin to Invercargill. I just wanted to stick a fork in my leg and wiggle it. You know, it was just like you get to that stage where you just don't want to travel anymore. And um, anyway, I got home on um, in the weekend, had my mother's birthday, preached on Sunday, and uh, we had a great Sunday and Sunday night, and, uh, and then went and... Uh, and jumped on the plane again this Monday morning and um, went to Wellington for a few days and, uh, and got back on Wednesday night and then yesterday in Invercargill, which was a kind of a, you know, I wanted to think about you guys, and uh, winter hit Invercargill with viciousness yesterday. It was like horizontal hail smashing against the windows. It was so exciting. And, uh, you know, like the, every time something happened like that, you could hear this, these fronts coming in. And the beauty of living in Invercargill is you get everything from the Southern Ocean. It just comes in, you know, it's beautiful. And, um, and uh, when it's glorious, it's glorious. But when it's ugly, it's really ugly. And uh, we had one of those days yesterday. So uh, I made every excuse to stay at home and, and make coffee. I've got a nice coffee machine at home. And, and uh, so I was so wired by the end of the day, drinking so much coffee <laughs> and warming myself by the fire and thinking of you guys. And then jumped on the plane this morning and uh, met by your pastor. And uh, that was so good. We hung out and drank more coffee. And, uh, and, so, and so it was really good. And, uh, and that's, uh, that's awesome. So great to be here. Um, if you don't know me, um, my name's Ian. And uh, I'm married to the lovely Dale, who I think is going to come up here sometime as well. There's a bit of negotiation going on. You'll love Dale. She's much nicer than me. And, um, yeah, and uh, she's, uh, you know, I always say to people, I've got three boys. I always say they, they got their good looks from me because Dale's still got his. And, um, the, uh, and so they're married now, all of them. We finally married uh, our third one just recently. So that was good, last man standing. And, uh, and so I've got uh, four grandchildren, uh, two boys, two girls, three of which live in the Middle East. And so that's our prayer life for, because um, they, they live uh, where Al-Qaeda are hanging out at the moment. So uh, that really makes, makes your prayer life go up. <laughs> you know, when they, particularly when they start moving around in the Middle East and doing 
some crazy things. And, uh, and they released the prisoners the other day from, um, uh, the, the Americans released those prisoners. Remember they did the prisoner exchange thing? Yeah, they released them uh, to where my kids are living, right in the same city. And so you, know, you think, oh my goodness. You know, so uh, there we go. And then we've got a son at home who's got a gorgeous granddaughter, uh, my granddaughter, I should say, little Zoe. And um, you can see me anytime you like. I will show you a million photographs of my grandchildren. So there we go. That's me. Uh, I've been down in Invercargill for 25 years. This is a crazy year for me cause, and for Dale and I. Dale's actually older than me um, by two days. We just about share a birthday. And, um, and so who's on the 8th of, if you're taking notes, uh, 8th of November is Dale's. Don't worry about that. Mine is the 10th of November. You don't worry about that. And uh, so write that down. That is the 10th of November. And, um, and so that's my birthday. But last November, we both turned 60 years old. Uh, we celebrate in September 40 years married. And, uh, and so, uh, and I've been this year 30 years in full-time ministry, where I actually got paid for it, not very well initially, but anyway. Uh, uh, and, but before that, we are involved in youth ministry and uh, Jesus movement and um, playing at, at Capital Teen Conventions in Wellington, Youth for Christ stuff and all that kind of thing, preaching in prisons when I was like 17 years old. You always gather a crowd in the prison. I was there this morning, actually, because we did a, uh, just a quick thing with the Southern Times on some stuff we're doing in the prison. And, and I said to the lady, I started preaching here when I was 17 years old and uh, no one would listen to, to me until I found out they all like cigarettes. And so I used to buy packets of cigarettes, take them in and uh, just hand them out one by one. Not the packets, just a single cigarette, you know, just keep on feeding them. And I just got an instant crowd. It was awesome. And so I could uh, just, you know, witness to them and all that kind of, kind of things. And, and, and so it was crazy. And uh, open air campaigners, all that kind of stuff. So I come from a very, cons- I'm trying to give you my whole nine yards, okay? Uh, and so I uh, come from a very conservative background. We believe God, the Father, the Son, and what's his name? And then, uh, and, and, you know, we went to church to sing hymns and, have nothing to do with the hers, and uh, and so it, that was my kind of life. We had one hour, and uh, and if you missed a service, you had to go attend another service to have communion uh, because you know you were bad. And uh, it was a very legalistic kind of an upbringing and all of that. And that's just history now. But uh, when I first met um, anything to do with the Holy Spirit, it was with uh, my. Then, well, it was my, this girl walked into a room who I married, and um, not instantly, of course, when she walked into the room, but she had a miniskirt on, I fell instantly in lust, love, and, um, and uh, got to know her, and, uh, and, uh, and so she was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I had never heard of that before, and so because of the culture I was in, it was very negative, and all of those kind of things, but there was a quality of Christianity about her, which is astonishing, and, uh, and so in all of that, um, you know, she introduced me to the things of the Spirit, and I remember remember when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, just a few, really a few weeks from getting to know her, I had never been at a, at a I'd never been in anything like this. I mean, this was considered like, you know, devil worship. And uh, the, the, where I came from, you've got to understand, there was anything like this was very weird. And, um, and so uh, uh, I had never heard anybody speak in tongues, for example. You know, I, I mean, I, you know, apart from Mary Poppins, um, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious, you know, which you can say backwards, docious aliexpusticfragicallyrupus, if you practice it long enough. And, uh, uh, and uh, someone's going to go away and Google that now, and actually you'll find that I'm right because I practiced it for a long time. Uh, 
because I was madly in love with Mary Poppins. And um, way back in the day, you understand, before the miniskirt came along. And um, yeah, thank you, darling. And uh, and so that's the that was the that was the deal there. And so when I when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, when someone laid hands on me, uh, it was after a Presbyterian church meeting, which wasn't my church because they were way too liberal. And uh, and so I was at this uh, church, and they laid hands on me, and and I was I was touched by the power of God that I never had never known before and my response to that was to start babbling like I'm doing right now uh, except you can understand me hopefully even if I'm speaking very quickly and uh, it's just that whole thing started to erupt out of me but then my words began to be mixed up and it was all crazy and all of that kind of stuff and the guys started laughing at me because they recognized that in the English there was also tongues and uh, and then they said no, no no you're speaking in tongues and so this began to you know, bubble out of me. And so the first person I ever heard speak in tongues was me. So that was cool. And once I knew what it was, it took them an hour and a half to shut me up. Uh, and of course, if you know what, you know, your tongues edifies. I love what you guys were talking about. You know, I love it when the pastor gets up and goes, let's just speak in tongues, because it is a rare thing in New Zealand today, even Pentecostal churches. It really is. It's just, it's crazy. In fact, some churches are shutting down now the public speaking of tongues and the public giving of prophecies. And that's happening across Australia and New Zealand right now in, in, in Pentecostal charismatic churches and big ones as, as well as small ones. And people are getting a bit leery and they're going, well, people don't, you know, the public don't understand what's going on. It's for a sign to unbelievers, actually. There's, people are less weirded out than we think they are. Um, I remember we've got a cage fighter in our church. Um, he's been in movies and all that kind of stuff. He's a huge guy. Uh, um, and, um, and, and so he's coming to the end of his fighting career. He, um, and, and, and so he came in one night with his girlfriend, and, um, and, and he's hard to miss, and he's very well known down, down south. And so we, he came the night we were having a prayer tunnel, uh, what we call a fire tunnel. And, uh, and so we, we got him through, and he came through the fire tunnel, and in the midst of coming through, God touched his life. He was this, this completely raw guy who had really no context of Christianity that I understood at that time. And, and within a few weeks, had given his heart to the Lord, and his girlfriend had given his heart to the Lord, and they're still going on strong for God. That's pretty exciting. He's had ups and downs and all those kind of things, but if you knew his background, understandable. But a touch from the Holy Spirit will begin to change you. And it's like, you know, when we're baptized in the Spirit, the word baptizo, when we, when we, it's not just, not just to be dipped in, but it's also a word that in Greek language, it's used to dye a garment. Um, and so I often use it to pickle an onion, you know. So if anybody's, have anybody eaten a raw onion before in your life? You know, it's a double dare, you know, come on, it's awesome, eh? It's like, I double dare you. It's usually most youth events we get people to eat onions or skull eggs or chilies or something like that, you know. And, um, and so, but if you pickle an onion, if you put it in a, in a solution, who likes pickled onions? Who likes pickled, look at those, see? Everybody's hand just about goes up. Who likes them the next day? Who likes living with a person who likes pickled onions? Anyway, they just and, and you get the whole that that whole thing. But the 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 onion actually changes; the, its constitution begins to change. It becomes sweeter, uh, becomes palatable, all of those kind of things. But being baptized in the Spirit, what happens? The Holy Spirit begins to seep into us. He begins to change us. He, he and and, it's, and the word is used to dye a garment. And so we don't do that so much now. But I can remember as a kid, my mother dyeing the sheets. 
you know, every now and again, she'd want to change all the color of the sheets at home. So she'd get this little pot of dye and put it in this great big copper thing that we had, and she'd poke it down with a stick, and, I, I, and, and, and she wanted to have red sheets, and we ended up with pink sheets. But anyway, uh, and, uh, and we, we got, but they used to do that. And blue, she tried to do, never dye one color something else because it'll all turn out to be something else. If you're an artist, you'll understand that. And, uh, and so she did all of that kind of stuff. And sitting here tonight in this creative atmosphere and all of that, I was going to speak about something entirely different, but I just want to go with revival. Because I, I just felt the Holy Spirit just so speak, and I'll get to the other thing, but I just thought tonight, if anything, that tapped right into the DNA of who I am. I am the guy in New Zealand with a personalised plate that says Revival. Well, it actually says Rival because you can only get... <laughs> but, but work with me, work with me, all right? So it's just like... It's like <laughs> I'm relieving God for Rival, I really am. You know, it's just like... It's just like it's gonna, I just feel there's a real Rival coming. Um, but I like it, all right? I like it, I like it. And I just pretend there's another letter in there, you know, like, and the, and the good people at Personalised Plates actually put a gap in it for me. So, you know, there's a big R, you know, and then where the, there's, uh, there's a pretend E, because we don't put that in, V-I-V-A-L, and it's there. And, you know, a guy was looking at my car one day, and he, he, he just was there, and he was obviously looking at the number plate, and I came along going, and he said, is this your car? And I said, yeah, it is. And he said, that means revival, doesn't it? And I could, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, um, so what's all that? And I said, let me talk to you. I'd, I'd like to tell you about revival. And he goes, no, thanks, mate. See you later. <laughs> he could see that, you know, kind of look in my eye. It's just because a whole bunch of friends for a birthday recognized that there was something that I kept on sharing all the time. No matter if I started to talk about the pomegranates on Aaron's robes, I would end up talking about revival. You know, I'd be at Christmas trying to do a nice Christmas message. I'd end up talking about revival. Because way back in the waybacks when I first met Dale, I met a man called Murray Thompson. Murray Thompson was a Maori evangelist and called to our nation, particularly to the Maori people. But the Maori people, his own people, rejected his message. And sadly, you know, here we are in, the, in a time right now where we're celebrating the, the bringing of the gospel to New Zealand. By the way, which was an invited gospel. It wasn't imposed on our, our land. It wasn't imposed on Māori as some people, but the Māori chief at the time invited uh, the, the gospel to come to New Zealand. And so it is an invited gospel. I think that's very, very cool. And it came on a Christmas day. 200 years ago, this coming Christmas. And so it's a great, it's a great thing to, to be able to celebrate. And Murray, instead of being accepted by his own people, which would have been, I believe, a, a, a real place where God's love would be manifested again, because the revival is, a, and exactly what Pastor said tonight, is about bringing something back into life again uh, that once lived. And, and churches need that. Groups need that all the time. They need that breath. I'm always looking for that fresh breath to come again and touch my own life, let alone anybody else's. Say, God, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Would you do it just one more time? You know, don't, don't let me die without seeing another move of God. And I've seen a number of moves of God, both major and minor. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, I've made it a bit of my business to study a little bit about revival. So I'll share a little bit about that with you tonight. Uh, and so to get that sort of kind of formal uh, thing out of the way, um, I'm just going to go and share a little bit about that. So I'll take about 20 minutes. Is that cool? Because I've already used 20 minutes introducing myself. And um, so turn to someone and go, he's a liar. He's going to go longer. Uh, 
Yeah, no, I'll try to be on time, and, and I'd love to do that for you. Um, a couple of scriptures. First uh, Kings 18 is one that you guys will probably know this really, really well, but uh, Elijah talks to uh, Ahab. There's been a great drought in the land, and, uh, and, uh, and then he says, you need to go and get something to eat and drink because I hear the sound of a mighty rainstorm that's coming. All right, I hear the sound of coming rain. And, uh, and then, uh, he, so Ahab goes up to eat and drink, and, but Elijah climbs up to the top of Mount Carmel and he bows low to the ground and he prays with his face between his knees. So crazy position, really. So what, he, what he does is he gets up on the hill and he, and he gets down and he puts his head between his knees, which is a Middle Eastern birthing position. You know, so, you know, it's like, You've got to get that out of your head sometimes, but that's exactly what he was doing. He was imitating the women of the day who would, who would, who would literally squat down to have their babies, which I worked in a hospital for 13 years before I was a pastor. Trust me, it is a better way to have a baby. Anyway, just saying. Uh, just, uh, and then you can just go back to work in the afternoon. It's easy, he said as a male. And, uh, and so... Uh, <laughs> Moving right along quickly before I get revolt instead of revival, uh, or just revel instead of revival. And he bowed low to the ground. He prayed with his face between his knees. And then he said to his servant, go back and look towards the sea. And the servant looked and he went and he turned to Elijah and he says, I don't see anything. You will get people like that in your life all the time. They say, come on, come on, just look. I, I believe there's something happening. You know, you just, just look again. And, and people say, no, I, I don't see that. I don't see that. I remember uh, probably about 15 years ago now, uh, um, I was, I'd gone through a particularly tough time. Uh, I had a burnout. Uh, I had become really a professional pastor. I was doing all of those. The things that I never really wanted to do, I ended up doing. And, and I just become a professional. I became, you know, on a speaking circuit. I, 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 was, I was well known in what I was doing and everything was being blessed. And I moved into a place where I thought that I was the guy that was bringing it all about, except it was God and always will be God. And, and so what had happened was I, I fell into this rut of disempowering people around me all the time because I was a perfectionist. And, uh, and uh, you know, I remember my counselor asked me this. He said once, uh, you know, will you tell me some of the mottos you were brought up with? You know, that might help me kind of psychoanalyze you a little bit better. And I went, what do you mean mottos? You know, be prepared like a Boy Scout? He said, no, no, no. He said, you know, children should be seen and... Yeah, there you go. So those little mottos that you, you, you that mum and dad throw at you from time to time. And, and as soon as he said that, I knew the one that I'd grown up with. And if a job is worth doing, it's worth... Oh, you had a father like mine too, did you? <laughs> or a mum or whatever it was. But if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing well. So he said, is that true? And I said, absolutely. Really? I said, well, absolutely. I said, my dad told me that. Dad's a godly man. He, I had wonderful parents, and I, and I know people have got all kinds of testimonies. My wife, Dale, if you ever get to hear a testimony, is harrowing. But I wasn't from that kind of harrowing background. I thought I just had a great upbringing. Mum and dad were believers. Uh, I was brought up in the church. I knew all of those kind of things. So, you know, what dad said was true. If the job's worth doing, it's worth doing well. And so he said, you really believe that? I said, yeah, absolutely. I felt like he was now, like I was getting offended on behalf of my dad, you know, because he was just a good man, great man. And, and, um, and, and I loved him dearly. And, and uh, so he, he said, well, answer me this question. He said, if, you, if, a, if, a, if, if, if a job is worth doing and it's worth doing well, how do you know when a job is done well enough to stop doing it? At that point, I cried. Um, and it was one of those crying moments where you cry out of all of the orifices in your face. You know, so, uh, 
You know what I'm talking about? You know, it's like, you know, oh, I don't want to even, no, I don't even want to give you my handkerchief because it'll be destroyed. And, uh, and so I, it was just, I was, and I was in a terrible place. I was stuttering. So if you notice carefully, I can talk a glass eye to sleep. Uh, and, but I was stuttering all of the time. I mean, I'm half Irish, so that explains, half Scottish too. So I'm half Scottish, half Irish. So half me wants to get drunk, the other half doesn't want to pay for it. You know, so it's, a, it's, a, it's like, it's confliction the whole time. And, um, and sorry, did I not supposed to say that in this juice? You can sort that. <laughs> Good man. And, and so, um, what was I saying? Yeah, so this whole confusion, this, but I was stuttering. I, I couldn't string two words together. You know, I was like Arkwright at the corner store, you know, fair, 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 fair. You know, that whole thing, it was awful. It was really awful. But on, the, on one of those nights, and I couldn't go to the supermarket. I couldn't be near people. I, I just, it would just freak me out. I'd, you know, I'd just be frozen. And I remember one night I took um, my two little Jack Russell Terriers, and great little dogs and, and great pals, and, and uh, I, I took them out for a walk one night, and um, it was late uh, in Invercargill. I was wandering around the streets, and uh, as I went down a street called Ward Street, and I looked out towards the southern horizon, and suddenly there was, God gave me a vision, open vision. And uh, I've had two or three open visions in my life. This was one of them, and significant. I looked at it, and the whole sky in the Southern Ocean, way out in the Southern Ocean, was blotted out by this enormous wave. And it was sitting there. It must have been 150 stories tall. Now, remember Cargill, the, the biggest building is seven stories tall. This thing just dominated the, all of the horizon, the Southern horizon. And I remember looking at it, and I'm going, I am now truly gone mad. I, I can't speak. I can't articulate anything in my life anymore. I think my ministry is over. They'd given me time off and all those kind of things. And I looked out, and, and in the wave, there was life. I could see it. It was like, it, it was like, there was, it was like lightning, but it wasn't lightning. It was, it was, it was just light. It, it was something weird. I'd never seen it before. And it just was pulsing, but it wasn't moving. It was alive, and it was sitting out in the Southern Ocean. It was astonishing. I started to cry. I thought, I am truly going mad. I really doubted me because I could, I could see it. And I thought, Lord, I can't tell this to anybody. They'll block me up. And suddenly my two little Jack Russell Terriers, both, if you know anything about these little Terriers, they're hunting dogs. And uh, they're, they're just small game and rats. Both of them turned towards the horizon. They both adopted that pointing position where little dogs, they lifted up their front paw, they stuck out their snout, and they began to growl in the back of their throats. And I thought, I'm with them, they can see it too. <laughs> and they just looked at that, and, I, and I, I stood there, and then it just began to fade. And it was like the Lord said, it's coming to this nation. And I went home, and I was broken, but it was broken in a great way. Because I know now that there is a move of God coming to this nation. The interesting thing was that people all around New Zealand saw that wave. That, not that particular wave, but I've spoken to people in Gisborne. They've seen it. I've spoken, to, I've spoken on Marae up in the, in the East Coast and Tiki Tiki and Tolliga Bay and all up around there, which is a different world, and they've seen the wave. People on the west coast of the South Island of New Zealand, the west coast of the North Island, people way up in Cairo, they've seen it. People way down in Bluff, they've seen it. People all around New Zealand, intercessors and prophetic people, they've said there is a wave coming to our nation. I would never have considered myself a prophetic person, but in my brokenness, God made something else out of me. 
And he will do that with all of us. He may bring us to the end of ourselves, so he can bring us to the beginning of him. Because many times we just learn to do things. We have a karaoke kind of Christianity. You know, it's kind of like painting by numbers. You know, come on, let's lift our hands. And so we lift our hands because we wouldn't have done it spontaneously ourselves. But there is a time when God will come and not some kind of marionette, but God will begin to erupt in us again. In an astonishing way, he will bring revival. And that's exactly what Elijah was doing. He was saying, come on, I want you to go again. 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 And the servant went, and he went seven times. And he went back and looked. And finally, the seventh time in verse 44, his servant told him, I saw a little cloud the size of a man's hand rising up from the sea. And Elijah, shout, Elijah shouted, Eliza. I was thinking of Eliza Doodle then. Eli- <clears throat> Elijah shouted, hurry and tell Ahab, tell him, climb up in your chariot and go back home. And if you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. But remember, he said beforehand, right before he saw anything, he said to that wicked king, he says, you need to go. You need to get on your chariot. You need to rise and eat because I hear the sound of coming rain. And I, I'm, I'm sitting here tonight. This was not my message tonight. This is no way. My message tonight was something I may share on Sunday morning. But at the moment, I believe God says this church is a church of revival. This, this is a church, and, and, the, and this phrase came to me while I was worshipping tonight. It says, what if it began tonight? What if it began today? And I saw a oil-soaked rag, and, and, I, and it was just like something you'd get in a, in a garage you know, with a mechanic, but it was soaked in oil, and the Lord said, I want to light it, and I believe that's this church. And, and, and you know, I, I believe in some ways you've been, you know, like a rag, you've been torn off and you've been, you've been used in some way. I don't know. I don't know the history of this church. I don't know anything about it, really. I've just met great people. But all I saw tonight was this rag and the Lord's soaking it in oil. He's soaking it in oil. I want to speak about oil tomorrow morning and what it does and, 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 and all about it. So we're going to do that in the first session tomorrow morning. But I'm telling you prophetically tonight, God is preparing this church. He's preparing you something because he spoke in the midst of that wave prophecy. He said that when this move of God begins to come to our nation, it'll come in the small towns, villages, and hamlets. It's a very, very specific word. And in the tour that I've been on in the last few weeks, one of the major leaders of our nation got up and he said, I believe that we've looked to the cities for too long, but the, but the move of God is coming. And he said it in a different way, but he said it's coming in the small towns and villages. And I went and, and, and I said to the guy next to him, he said, and in the hamlets. I'm a bit of a Shakespeare fan, you know. So now is the winter of our discontent made glorious summer by the son of York. Sorry. And, um, and so I, I love that kind of touch of the dramatic and all of, all of that. But I, I believe God wants to bring the, bring the hamlets alive. He wants to bring the hamlets are a, a little town, a little village kind of thing. But the villages, the small towns, you know, the, the little places, because he wants to revive the churches that are there and all of that. And then in Habakkuk in 3, Habakkuk 3, if you're taking notes, apart from my birthday date, it says, uh, though the fig tree does not bud and there's no grapes on the vine, though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food, though there be no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls. That sounds like church sometimes, doesn't it? We get there, we get the kids there, we lose a shoe, we have a fight on the way, we get there and nobody else is there. You know, although those who are there, they just look like they've had the same kind of experience. And, and we go, there's no sheep in the pen. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. And I love the way that your pastor cheerleaded us tonight because, you know, it's Friday night and it's hard work. But, you know, you guys, did you guys pay to come here? Come on. You guys are really keen. If I, if I paid, I paid money. Did I pay money? No, I think you paid for me to come. 
My PA does all of that kind of stuff for me. We paid to come here tonight to be revived. I'm going, you've invested already. You've sown into revival. You've sowed it into your own life. And I, would, I, I want to so encourage you tonight, you're going to get a return because it's not just going, oh, we've got to keep the lights on for a bit longer. You know, we're, we're not going to, you know, save for razors for Ian so he can have a shave or something or other. We're talking, about, we're talking about sowing into our own lives. And sometimes when I've done that deliberately, when I've taken money and I've sowed it into it, and I'm saying, God, I, I want to sow that. And I remember, you know, if I ever meet a revivalist, a dinky die guy or gal who moves in the power of God, I give money to them. Because I believe that when I give something to them, and I'm not, this is not about me, please don't, I'm just using it, so I'm not, don't give money to me. I don't want your money. I've got plenty of money. But the fact is that when we sow a seed into a good ground, when we sow a seed into a move of God, I tell you what, there's a mighty return in all of that. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. It comes in different ways. And, uh, and it opens up in different ways as well. And so when you see none of these things happening, no fruit on the vine, nothing seems to be happening, it's kind of wearying, then rejoice in the Lord. Yet will I rejoice in the Lord. Remember, Isaiah says this, said, sing, O barren, you who have not born. And the, and the word is not, often we say, oh, that's all about women. No, it's not. Actually, if the, the original language is a generic term, and so it's both male and female. So if you're sterile or if you're barren, you need to, what does it say? It says, sing. You guys know your Bible. You know what it says. Not if you're still awake. Some of you are looking like, sorry, am I talking too fast? It's okay. I was preaching in Florida once and I met these two little old Pentecostal ladies, you know, here in a bun, brick in a bag. They, um, they're just like, yay, hi. And, um, and uh, you know, you've met them before. You've ever seen my wife make toast? <sighs> you know, they, anyway. It was kind of like, they are holiness Pentecostal. Like, they've never cut their hair in their life. They've never worn pants. I mean, trousers. You know, like, creepy right there they're just like they're just like really you know like wow and I was talking to them I said excuse me uh, sorry am I speaking too quickly you know because Kiwis tend to you know do that and you're in the south in the United States where they speak a lot slower and so I I was apologizing and I said to these two little ladies I'm sorry you know am I speaking too 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 quickly and they said my you sure do talk pretty (laughs) we're gonna pray for you boy Okay, okay, so they've been praying for me. Got my card, and it's probably on their fridge right now. They might be dead now, but I mean, that was a few years ago. But, but anyway, they were dying to pray for me, I can tell you. That was awesome right there. And, and so when you begin to, you know, those who, those um, that, <laughs> don't get me started. And, uh, and, and that Isaiah thing, you know, sing, O barren. So singing is not praying. Praying, you put a demand on God. Singing puts a demand on yourself. So you, you so so come on, let's pray together. And we go, oh yeah, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. You know, like that. But say, so I'm going to get one of you girls to sing right now over here. That would be good to get you to sing. Uh, and suddenly your heart rate just went up <laughs> <laughs> because, like, praying is like uh, like who, mm, who's the singers here? Like, look, look, you did that in school, didn't you? Not look at the teacher when he came nearby. <laughs> She was looking at me, then in the moment I met her, she went, dog ate my homework. And, um, <laughs> but the moment that I move in with a microphone, you feel the demand. And, and so praying, we can pray. We put a demand on God. And he begins to you know, kind of do all of that. But when we sing, the demand's on us. 
and we begin to, you know, sing O Baron, sing O Baron. Remember when the, when the, you know, by the rivers of Babylon? If you like, who likes Boney M? Yeah, come on, by the rivers of Babylon. Where we sing. I never remember the rest of this. But they were, they were, they were being mocked. They were being mocked. They went, you know, they, 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 they come on, sing the song of the Lord. You know, you talk about them all the time. You're captives. Where is your God? I mean, it's like nothing. There's no fruit on your vine, man. You know, and they said, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat down. They hung our harps on. How can we sing the song of the Lord in a strange land? We, we, we long for home. We'll never sing the song of the Lord while a strange land lives in us. We are from a different land. We are completely different people. We have this God in us. We have this kingdom. Jesus said, the kingdom's not out there. It's in there. It's in this young girl. It's in this old man. It's in this old man. <laughs> it's in Jared. It's in Roe. Kingdom of God is within us. And we, we often adopt the Old Testament mode by pulling God down into our meetings. God, will you come? You know, you know, really, we'll behave again. You know, oh, Lord, forgive us for like last week, but we'll do it really well this week. And we, we're trying to coax him down. And he's saying, come on, I'm already here. I'm already here. You know, I look around here and go, look, there's a move of God right here. There's a move of God here in the schools that you represent, the homes that you represent, the, 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 the businesses you represent. There is a move of God. Dale and I got our, our passport photographs renewed um, um, God, three, three or four years ago. Went down to a, into a shop in, in Invercargill and got them done. It was a Monday morning. Um, we needed to get them done you know, reasonably quickly, and we went in there. And You know when you go into a place and the atmosphere is like, oh... <laughs> It's like you can cut it with a knife. You know, you're like, what's going on? So there was about five staff in there, you know, like, and no one was making eye contact with us, let alone anyone else. Everybody, and they ignored us. We were sitting at the, we're the only people in the shop. There is no music on. I would have put music on at least, you know, uh, if people were grumpy. But, you know, the, and it was like there was something obviously going on we'd walked into. And uh, anyway, this girl comes and said, yes. And uh, so we'd, I'd really like to get our photographs taken um, because we're so amazingly good looking and we wanted to capture that and then put it on some documentation so we can show people in other countries. She goes, what? <laughs> we want to have a passport photograph. Oh, okay. And so, uh, so I'm standing there and she says, oh, I'll have to take you around the back. Okay. I said, have you got a comb? <laughs> She said, a, a what? I said, a comb for my hair. <laughs> At that stage, everybody starts looking up. They're going, oh my goodness. It's like, it's like. And she, she started to laugh. And Dale was like, no, he needs powder because when the flash goes off, it'll bounce all around the room. <laughs> and it's like, 
So we're, we're doing that. And at this stage, she's like, oh, this, okay, that'd be quite good. We'll get some powder, you know, like, and she's like joining in. And the others are starting to relax and all that kind of stuff. Well, we go in there. We have a time. We start pulling her leg. She starts pulling our leg. We, we get the photographs done. I'm mocking Dale. She's mocking me. We're mocking the photographer. And we're going out there and we're talking to everybody. You know, how's your weekend? You know, it was great, you know. And, um, and, the, and they go, oh, what do you guys do? I said, oh, we're pastors. And they went, what? <laughs> You know, like pastors and stuff, you know, like yeah, we, do, we look after church. So this is our day off. So it's so cool. We're really pumped, you know. And, um, and uh, we're getting passport photographs and stuff like that. So we, we just chatted to them, paid their money. With it. We went out into the car park. And, and as we went out, we turned around. There was four out of the five all at the window looking at us and waving. <laughs> Praying that they'd never see us again. I don't know, but I just like, atmosphere is amazing. And we are the ones with this kingdom within us and we can create it. It's just a choice. Who knows how to serve up a bad mood at home without using words? Without using words. Who can serve up a bad mood? I, we just want to communicate that I'm ticked off. There's a, this young lady over here is trying to put her hand up. So she's like at school, oh, sir, I know the answer. Sir, sir, sir. So we all know, don't leave her on her own. Who knows how to serve up bad mood? Is anybody over here on this side? Oh, you are, yeah. And that's without words. If you can serve up a bad mood by choice without words, what can you do with the kingdom of God within you? Because it operates by choice. We, we often think it operates by the miraculous. Well, it's sometimes getting a choice out of someone is miraculous. And revival is that. I believe revival is a choice. I believe revival is a choice that you and I make. And when I met people like Mary Thompson, I met people like Winky Prattney, who are friends now, they're just amazing people. I, I met these people and I meet revivalists all around the world. As I begin to sow into it, as I begin to, and to walk with them, I begin to connect with them and they begin to connect with me. And, and I'm, you know, I was talking with Russell Evans just from Planet Shakers just probably about a year ago. And he goes, Ian! Like, he's crazy. Have <laughs> you ever met Russell? He's like crazy. And everybody I meet is preaching in Invercargill. What is the deal with you? And I say, I just, like, I, I got friends on the, like, who love the move of God. And he goes, I love that. <laughs> if you ever met Russell, you'll understand uh, all of that kind of stuff, you know, like. And, and I'm going, well, I don't know what it is. I'm just a kid from Invercargill that grew up. But I remember the night that my father died. This godly man who had gave me terrible mottos. <laughs> and, and, you know, you know, supported us through ministry school and all those kind of stuff and never got the fact that I was a Pentecostal. He was a conservative evangelical the day he died. Would argue with me like it was all wrong until someone of his friends would argue against me. Then he'd use the same scriptures that I was using to defend me. <laughs> That's a dad for you, you know, like, and the night that he died, I flew down from, I was, we were living in the North Island then, I came down and, 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 uh, and, um, because he just told me, I, can I tell you another story? Oh, I'm sorry. Because, like, literally a week beforehand, you know, um, I rang home from, we were living in Otaki, a little town just now north of Wellington. I rang home and um, Dad answered and said, hey, how you doing, Dad? Good, good, good. And the first thing he says was, and this is typical kind of New Zealand Dad at the time, he says, your mum's not here. 
I'm going, oh, that's okay. I, I can talk to you. Because <laughs> he was like monosyllabic. You know, he would talk, uh, 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 talk uh, and, you know, kind of, you know, he was dad. You know, like, you can't expect reasonable long sentences out of your dad. You know, and, uh, and, and mum, she's the Irish one of the family. Holy smokes. You know, you can put the phone down, you can make a three-course meal, come back, and she's still talking. And... Uh, in fact, she comes from a family of 13. They can all talk at once. I've seen this in operation, uh, and my cousins and I laugh about it to this day. They can all talk at once at the top of their voices and then recall every conversation that everybody else has made. Uh, that's magic, I tell you. Right there, that's the Irish, I'm telling you right now. Anyway, they... they <laughs> so, so, so mum's not here. So uh, I go, okay, well, I want to talk to you. So we have this great conversation, one of the greatest conversations. And right at the end of it, I said, Dad, I love you. And he said to me, Ian, I love you too. That was the most awkward love you that it was like, because <laughs> it just like, he was like, he's a Kiwi dad, you know, he just, he, they just don't, I knew he loved me, but he told me and I heard it. And a week later he was dead, just died suddenly, 68 years old he died. And, uh, and, and, and mum's been on her own now for just about 30 years, 30 years next year. Crazy, really, when you think about it. But I went down, and I remember I walked the streets that night a little bit, just nearer their home, and everybody else had left, and we were just making some of the funeral arrangements. And I said, God, give me the city. As I walk up and down its streets, let the sea, because my dad was called Duncan Wright. That was his nickname. His name was Doug, actually. But Duncan Wright was an evangelist in the conservative evangelist. And because he was a builder, the guys on the building site used to, used to tease him and say, oh, you're Duncan Wright, like the evangelist. And, uh, and you, that doesn't mean anything to you, nor me, actually, because I never knew that. But that was kind of it's like someone calling you Billy Graham or, I don't know, someone, you know, like that. And so he was, that's what he was called. And his obituary in the paper, it was Stuart Douglas Morton brackets Duncan Wright, because he was known in the trade as Duncan because of the mocking of his Christianity, but he always stood firm for the gospel. And I remember standing on the seat of his death, suddenly, unexpectedly, but all of his presence says, God, I want this city. And I'm still in the city 25 years later. And, and I'm going, God, I need to see that wave. I need to see that move. I need to see. I'm going to start singing. I'm going to put a demand on myself. I'm going to talk about revival. I'm going to talk about all of the things that need to be done. And tonight as we, we just do this, and I've taken way too much of your time, and I've got another whole bunch of stuff, and I'm going to share this over tomorrow. Is that okay? We're going to talk about oil, and we're going to talk about revival specifically tomorrow. And we'll see what we'll do on Sunday morning. But I believe God wants to get us as these, this, 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 this wick, this rag, and he wants to soak us in his presence. And it's not just a matter of lying down the front or dancing or anything like that, but he, 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 faith will begin to rise in your hearts. And faith's already risen in some of your hearts because you, there's this hope again. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's something that God's teasing you with. And, and there's something that he's coaxing out of us. And, and he'll do that. He's, he's a God that doesn't hide from us, but will play hide and seek with us because a father always wants to be found. <laughs> Come on, you don't, you don't say, I'm just going to hide for you from you if to your kids and then disappear down to the shops for an hour. You know, you, you know. And Jesus, which would be funny, um, and Jesus said this in Luke, he said, you know, if you fathers being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them who ask? He said, if, you, if your kid asks for, you know, McDonald's, you're not going to give them KFC. If you're not, 
If your kid asks for, you know, a fish, you're not going to give him a snake. If he asks for bread, you're not going to give him a rock. If, and if you know how to do that, how much more? Because you're the Father of God, this, 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 this wonderful Father who's established us in this love, is the kindest person you have ever met in your life. He's not like your father. He's not like my father. And that's where we get the hang-up. And I spoke about that last time I was here, I think, on the Sunday morning. But he's not like that. There is no comparison. He's astonishing. Sneaky. He ambushes you. He, he, he will corral you into a place where all of your idols don't work anymore. And they'll all come crashing down. When you're left just with him and your brokenness and two Jack Russell puppies, he'll get you to that place. An old Southland farmer said once, a sheep never looks up until it's on its back. If you know anything about sheep, you'll know what I'm talking about. You never see a sheep in the business wandering around, looking up. They just physically can't do it. I work with sheep. But when they're cast, they need a shepherd. And when they're cast, they need a shepherd who knows about reviving them. And that's what we're going to share about this weekend.